Welcome to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. With over 20 years of experience as a clinical psychologist, Susie is an expert at taking people on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery. Join Susie as she talks to remarkable people who share their insights and lessons for living a purpose-driven life to inspire you in your own journey. My next guest today is James Day. James is 22 years old. He's actually my youngest guest and it's about time that I started to having a younger generation speak about their journey because they have a lot of insight and perspective on what it's like for them in today's world and what are some of the experiences that they're going through and struggles that they're navigating. James is from Sydney, but living in Canberra. He's doing a double degree of political science and international relations at the ANU. He's just finished his fourth year. Now, at the beginning of this year, he was diagnosed with ADHD. He struggled with depression, anxiety, and while he was at uni, he was, you know, things were not very stable. He was obviously navigating a lot, but he finally found his true passion and love, which is stand-up comedy. And shortly before his diagnosis of ADHD, he did his first open mic. James, thank you so much for being here and congratulations you. on your first open mic. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you've shared a really in-depth, um, I guess, journey of how things have been for you over the last couple of years. And um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to um, find out more and, you know, I suppose unpack a little bit about what things have been like for you and what you're learning. But tell me, let's start off with where are you at at the moment? How are things for you now that you're 22 doing what you're doing? Um, well, when I was 18 and just moved to Canberra, I was expecting that university would would be a lot easier than high school, honestly. I thought, you know, I'm out alone, you know, I get to determine my own life, I get to make my own friends, I get this new chance at life and, you know, to start new experiences and all that. And I guess my expectations were a bit high for myself, <laughs> expecting that things would pretty much go my way all the way through. And after four years, uh, it's been a... A bit all over the map and right now I would say that despite probably not living up to my expectations at that time when I was 18 I have come a long way and today I'm just trying to keep track of that see how I've progressed you know I appreciate that and not try and compare myself to others which mm. is very difficult especially with social media and that you know you see all your mates yeah. graduating and doing great things as they deserve because they've worked hard for it and all that. But it, it you know, you pin that on yourself and you, it's, uh, I, I tend to, you know, really beat myself up for just small mistakes, which kind of just sends me back into a hole. And mm. I'm really trying to unlearn that habit because I've had it for a very long time. And I think a lot of people do. And yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, but you know, it's like any habit. You just got to take your time day by day any improvement is a win, you know, and just appreciate that and just pat yourself on the back. But uh, right now I'd say getting better, but <laughs> it's still hard, you know, like mm. life, it is, life is, you know, mm. as usual. Um, I, I, you know, you start off with the most vulnerable thing, which is comparing yourself to others. And I just want to say right off the bat is I, I can't imagine anyone not having done that. I can't imagine anyone not 
um, still doing that to some degree. I, I mean, it's amazing how much of that um, in my own work, but certainly even for myself, James, how we think we're not doing that. And yet sometimes um, we, when we look back, we can see that, well, really what, what was what was driving me was that comparison um, or expectations, which oftentimes are actually not even ours. So I just want to acknowledge you for saying that because that's a big one to even acknowledge. And yeah, I mean, there's healthy competition that can, that can derive from that. Um, but then at what cost to oneself? So if we go back to uni, you know, you and, and the expectations, so things didn't start off or things didn't um, go the way you had hoped they would. You know, I can, I can understand why you would expect uni to be a little bit easier from the point of view of, you know, choosing your own friends and so many other things, I suppose. But, you know, tell me a bit about, about that. How did things start off? What was really, what was the most challenging thing? I mean, you did move from Sydney to Canberra, so there's all of that to consider. Yeah, I mean, moving to Canberra, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, you know, everybody thinks this Canberra is a bit of a, a crap place to live and I guess that was my initial impression. I thought it was like, you know, all my friends were in Sydney, like, why would you move there? And I was like, well, it's not about that. It's about the degrees I'm going for. It's, you know, I want to learn. I'm not really going to just, you know, have a great time in a great city. It's, it's, I'm here to get experience in that. But, um, yeah, I think I underestimated how hard that would be just the move. I was so excited about moving because I was so sick of Sydney and the kind of the bubble I was living in. And I really wanted to just challenge myself and prove to the world that I, you know, I was more than what they thought I was, especially because where I went to high school and primary school, it was all kind of in the same area and I knew all the same people and they all knew me a certain way. And this was a chance for me to kind of get into a new social group and see what other people thought of me who didn't know me. And mm. it was a, it was a huge revelation to find out, oh, that, you know, people actually liked me, you know, that I was funny. That was, mm. you know, I wasn't because I can't, I come from a pretty privileged place. I thought I was, I came off pretentious all the time and I was very over um, analytical about that. And I thought it was just coming off me in general. And I didn't think I was like a genuine person. And when I got to Canberra, the people I met and hung around with so you know, from places I'd never been to or never, you know, heard anyone from before. And I, that was so nice to me. And I was so, it was such a great experience to find out that, oh, I, I'm actually like a normal person because <laughs> mm. where I come from, there's not a lot of normal people, I guess. It's just, uh, but it took me moving to Canberra to realize that. But I guess the initial challenges, I don't think they set in um, until about a couple months in when I realized I didn't have the dis dis the discipline, the, uh, you know, the focus, the uh, mm. ability to just sit down and get the work done. Uh, I guess in high school, I'd, I'd had my parents there. I had a regular routine. I, I hadn't really ever had to set up or organize anything for myself. I was quite you know, someone told me where to go and I just did it and then got the job done. And then I went home and, you know, and did whatever I wanted to do. But in, in uh, when I'm living, when you're living by yourself first, it's, 
you got to organize yourself. You got to put in place structures that are going to get you through the work that you have to do. And when no one's there to tell you, uh, you know, you got to get the work done. It's pretty easy to go, Oh, I can do it for like, do it later. You know, Oh, I can push it off. Oh, it's fine. Mm. And then you just keep pushing off and you're like, Oh my God, there's all these things I have to do and I have no time to do them. What has happened? Why, why is this happening? And, you know, initially I was like, oh, angry at the uni. I was angry at the work. I was like, I hate this. And, you know, I was trying to blame everyone but me. You know, I was trying to just throw myself into anything that would distract me from, you know, the impending assignments or whatever mm-hmm. I had to do. And, you know, whether that be, you know, drinking or going out or, you know, which in first year at university is very easy to do. It's everybody's in the same headspace, I guess. And I think I just... I had no self-control. So eventually I came to the realization that was my fault, but by that time it was too late and my grades were going very poorly. So how did you come to that realization? Oh, I just kept failing. I Mm -hmm. kept just not doing the work. And I knew like, even at the start, I was like, I just didn't want to accept it, that it was my own fault. I just Mm. knew that I really had to like face up to the reality that I had just to just sit down and do the work. But I also, I guess, because I, at the time I didn't know I had ADHD, I didn't know how, I didn't, I, I found it very difficult. Mm. I was very hyperactive. I like to run around a lot. I like to do a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I wasn't good at just telling myself, no, you have to sit down and get this done now. Like you have to go and go to the library, make this easier for yourself, you know, have breaks. I had no idea how to structure my life. You know, I just, Mm. coming to that realisation, I was just the grades, um, other people just watching them, like, do the work, you know, and I was like, oh, I should be doing that. Uh, Then, you know, just my parents as well and teachers, I was like, oh, okay, this is on me. And, uh, you know, I I think my go-to for anything back then was if I fail, I suck. I'm never going to get better and it's not even worth trying. Mm. So just quit and move on. But then I had too much pride to quit. So I was like, all right, I'll just hang on. Mm. And then it was kind of just this kind of back and forth where I wasn't really doing anything. I was just in my own head overthinking it, just sitting in bed, just like trying not to think about anything and get through the, you know, just the anxiety and the over, it's just all over the place. You know, I I don't know. I'm trying to articulate myself well now, but just taking myself back there, it was just a, yeah. (laughs) It was, I mean, it sounds like a big ball of mess oftentimes when we're, you know, when people are in that place, it's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know what's the first thing that, you know, you need to do. Like I, you know, it's, it's really, it's really difficult. So how bad did it get for you before, I suppose, like I, I know that you were saying you started to accept that it was you. Is that when things change or how bad did it get before you, I suppose, started to maybe ask for help or see some change happen? Uh, well, a lot of things happened. Um, I guess, you know, it was little moments that took place that made me realize small things. And I think that was kind of the best way 
to go about it in terms of like fixing myself and fixing everything because there was a lot going wrong and there was a lot of things I needed to improve on, but I wasn't going to be able to attack it all at the same time. Mm. I think the first thing was that I was initially doing a double degrees of science and international relations. So I was doing this physics and math and then I was doing other stuff about, you know, uh, diplomacy and, and, you know, international relations in general. But um, <laughs> I wasn't enjoying the physics and math. I'd always tried to push myself to do it because I thought I need to, I need to be smart and to be smart, you need to be good at math. So I was very insecure about my intelligence. Mm. Um, and for a long time, I'd been looking for something that I was genuinely passionate about and I really cared about and wanted to like contribute to the world through. And I thought that was physics and math because one of my best mates is, you know, incredibly smart and gifted at that sort of, um, work is, you know, I, I grew up with him and I always used to listen to him talk about how passionate he was about, you know, physics and stuff. And he got me really into it and mm. I loved it. And I learned so much through him and I kind of, you know, thank him more for that. But at the same time, his passion was so contagious. I thought it was my dream as well. Mm. And I never really, I, I just was like, Oh, I'll just jump on that bus and assume that that's my strength. And it, it wasn't, you know, I was okay at math, but I didn't really care about it to the extent that he did. I didn't have the, you know, the drive or the, uh, I guess the, the strength in it. I did my very best and I, I got a fair way with it, but I, I, I never really found fulfillment through it. I just found mm. it painful. And so in my second semester when I was trying to, you know, tackle with that again, I was getting a lot better at studying, but I didn't have the discipline to go, maybe I should stop uh, going out as much. And I kept, mm. you know, just getting absolutely smashed, you know, barely sleeping, waking up super early and then like trying to get through all the study again. And it was just the most unsustainable, you know, pattern so much so that I broke down my immune system and I got glandular fever. Mm. which was just at the precipice of when I was actually doing well at my physics and maths, you know, I was getting yeah. somewhere. <laughs> and then I was like out for five weeks. I had to come up to Sydney. My dad nursed me, nursed me back to health. I was like trying to get up and do the work and, you know, and then I just for half an hour and then I'd go back to sleep for like eight hours. And then, <laughs> you know, it was just like, uh, I was, it was an awful time. And I was just like, Oh, why am I, just destroying myself like this? Why am I beating myself up and trying to like be something that I obviously mm. am not? And was that a key question that you asked yourself then? Cause this was still, um, first year of uni, was it? Or was this? Second? Yeah, this was yeah. still my first year. Yeah. It was the second semester. So mm. I was just, yeah, I was, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I, why do I keep trying to like force myself through this thing that I just don't, care about, but I was just too scared to go out and, you know, try something that I was genuinely passionate about, mm. you know, I was genuinely interested in and it was, it was really difficult, but I went, you know, finished that year, did terrible with the grades. I failed a lot. I went on, you know, back to Sydney and holidays and I hung out with my best man and I was talking to him and, and, uh, he was just like, I was talking to him about this and he's like, what? why, you know, you don't have to do this, right? You know, you don't have to do science. 
yeah, like, you're not, who are you trying to prove? Like, what are you trying to prove here? And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. <laughs> and I was just, it was that simple. I was like, oh, I, it's, it doesn't really matter that much. It like, I, I, why am I trying to beat myself to the pulp just because I'm trying to be like the smartest in the room? And it was just, I was doing it out of my own insecurity and I was, you know, I was mm-hmm. too scared to just go and do something I really love. So then I swapped to political science and, you know, political science is great and all and, you know, it's interesting, but <laughs> I was still trying to like, I guess, force something that I wasn't really interested in. And, you know, I think the whole time through these last four years is just trying to have the confidence to be myself and like be confident that the thing I'm passionate about, which I've always been passionate about since I read um, Steve Martin, you know, the comedian, mm-hmm. he wrote a, he wrote a book called born standing up and <laughs> I read title. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about his journey into stand up, and, you know, mm-hmm. he was a busker and a magician and went working at Disney world and that and, you know, throughout the 60s, he was just like going around the country, you know, at the time when stand-up wasn't really a big um, thing. It was just no one really understood what it was. Uh, it was just starting to grow and it was just fascinating to see him talk about it and the passion and I was like so enthralled by it and I was like, oh, that's amazing. But I didn't think I was funny enough to go down that path. Mm-hmm. And so the last four years, through all the challenges, it's just me learning that, oh, you know what, I'm actually – not that as bad as I think I am, hmm. you know, just having enough confidence to go, you know what? It, it doesn't really matter that much. I don't, I don't really need to prove anything to anyone. I just need to go out there and do what I love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not until this year at the start where I was just like, finally, especially after the first lockdown, I was like, oh, I, I got to go and do otherwise, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years. This, mm-hmm. this, this is my chance. And, mm-hmm. and when I got up there, it was like, everything came into place. Like it was just, it was the best feeling I've ever had. It was like, I've finally found that passion that I've always looked for. Like I thought it was writing for a lot, long time. I thought it was acting. I thought it was like improv. I thought it was physics. I thought it was journalism. And, you know, I still do some of that stuff. But when I stood up there and, you know, I told some jokes that I'd written the day before and <laughs> it got a couple laughs, it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know, and it was just everything I'd ever wanted. So it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It was, it and was, when was that, James? When was your first open mic? That was this year? No. When was that? Yeah, it was this year. It was this, this year. year. It was in wow. February. Yeah. And, and and how did it come to that point? Like, you know, where we're kind of jumping to to this moment, but you know, everything, it sounds like really when you talk, when you're talking about the struggles that you experienced, particularly when you transitioned to uni, the first year, how difficult it was, um, what you were trying to do. And, you know, gosh, I can't even imagine the number of young, not just young people, but even, um, adults, right. Any, you know, across board who, who, are on that journey or have been on that journey of trying to do something that they think is expected of them or that they think they have to do because that equals this. You know, in your case, it was do maths because that equals smart, that equals intelligence, let's say. But, you know, to me it sounds like everything has funneled into getting 
you to where you are, right? Even, even the writing where you try to do the writing, even the, what else was there that you were trying? Journalism, you know. Yeah. And improvisation and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's actually, you know, to me, the way that I'm hearing it, it's like, oh, wow, right? Yeah. And, and that sounds like, yeah, it's all, it all looks like <laughs> an open path, ready to just kind of take it. But gosh, it's never like that, is it? So, no, yeah. Tell it's, me, it's tell me the straight. moments leading up to that first open mic. How did you know where to do it? How did you decide? And like I know you said, you know, who knows what next year's going to look like? I want to give this a chance, but. Tell me a bit more about that. Did you know someone who was doing it, or and where did you do it? This um, was in Sydney, right? Yeah, it was in Sydney. I had it at the Kings Cross Hotel. Um, they had a little open mic on Monday and Tuesday evenings, and I was up in Sydney, uh, just you know, on holiday, and I was, uh, you know, I've been listening to comedians' podcasts and stand-up specials and shows for years you know trying to just work up the confidence and understand like how they started you know like Mm -hmm. looking at their their journeys and to it and you know like people like Bill Burr you know who's one of the biggest stand-up comedians in the world right now and you know he's controversial but if you listen to his Monday morning podcast Hmm. it's just him talking to himself and he goes through all these stories about how when he started you know he was like 24 and he he was kind of in a similar position to me he was at a liberal arts college in Boston and he wasn't doing great at anything. He sucked, you know, he was an alcoholic for a while and he just was like so down on himself and didn't have any guidance or like direction. And, you know, he did radio for a bit, but he still sucked at it. And then he went up and he just had that moment. But for me, you know, I share in that story and I was like, Oh, okay. He was, you know, it, it took him that long to get there. And, you know, mm. it took me, that long to get there too. I was like, it's, it's never too late, but I think it's better if I start now. And anyway, I'll, I'll get to the chase, but I, I think, you know, coming out of the lockdown, I started looking at the open mics that were going on. And I was like, all right, you know, before I go up for the first time, let me just go check out one of these open mics. So I went there and you assume from looking at the screen that all these comedians are just naturally gifted, you know, from the start, you know, that they're just whizzes. They're off the bat, just, you know, cracking jokes and zipping, you know, mm. and able to just so, so clever. And so, you know, it seems just so natural, but that's the, that's the art. That's the, mm. that's the real craft of it. You know, they've done it for decades and you see that end product, but at the start, and I urge everyone to go to an open mic just to see how bad it can be because <laughs> it can be just atrocious. And you just go, and I, I went to the first one and I was like, oh, I'm funnier than these people, which I think a lot of people do, you know, and they go, oh, that's easy. You know, it's an easy assumption to make. But yeah, I was like, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of gave me a bit of hope and I was like, all right, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy. If I go up and I bomb, I don't really care. Yeah. As long as I gave it my best and I tried. So I was feeling a lot better about myself at that time because I was kind of just so done with university that I was, I'd basically given up, you know, I'm still Mm -hmm. going at this point and I'm like, I'm just going to get it done because I, you know, I'm in it. I've been in it for four years now. I may as well. Mm -hmm. But um, at that time I was just like, I'm ready to give it all up and just go down this path if this works out. And, you know, I almost did, but, um, 
Mm. I went to that first open mic. I saw the people up there. I was like, okay, I can do this. I went the next day. I wrote down just some silly ideas that I've written down in my notes over the years on my phone. (laughs) Something came together, a little joke here, a little joke there. I was like, okay, I'll memorize it. I went out, went up to that first open mic. I had with me my mate Callum just to, you know, uh, resuscitate me if I passed out on stage. I got up. um, I did all right. I made some people laugh and it was, it was like such a rush, Mm. just such an adrenaline rush. And it was such like these people who don't even know me, you know, that just laughed at the stuff that I'd come up with off the top of my head yesterday. Mm. Like it was kind of just all the kind of (laughs) social acceptance and fulfillment I needed. Mm. And, and it was, uh, it was huge. You know, I, it boosted my confidence a million fold. And, you know, I, I saw the manager of the club like laugh at it and I was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. And, you know, yeah. and then I saw after me, like these actual professional comedians go up and they had their little notes and they'd been in lockdown all year. So they hadn't really been up and practicing a lot. So I saw them at their worst and some of them I did better than, which was like a huge ego boost. But, mm. you know, I had to check myself because the next time I came back, they were way better because they'd been working the clubs. <laughs> and yeah. But like, yeah, just to see the mm. professionals too, just like go up there with their little notes and just like write it down and like try something. It gets nothing. And they go, okay, next one. Okay, next one. And it, it was like, I've always been pretty bad at failing because you know, the first time I fail, I just assume, oh, I'll never get better at this. Mm. But seeing them just like power through that and doing it myself and just like accepting just that, oh, okay, that didn't work. That doesn't mean I'm not funny and I'm not worth anything. Mm. It just means I need to go back and work harder and write more and, you know, just keep committing to it, you know, keep practicing, keep, you know, ad-libbing, you know, and I've been doing that, you know, it's been a bit inconsistent with the lockdowns lately, but I'm ready to keep going and yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome. I mean, there's so much in what you've said, James, like so much, right? Just, <laughs> you know, we no, but that's, that's brilliant in terms of what you've been through, um, where you are now. Right. And, and it's interesting how you said you're, you were pretty bad at failing and like, that's, really caught my attention it's like well you either fail or you don't um and one could easily interpret that but it's like yeah what do you do when it's not going your way what do you do when you didn't get or get to where you hoped you get to um how can you back yourself in that so i suppose now the question is how do you back yourself? Like, how do you kind of give yourself a kick to keep trying? What is it that you say? Like, what's your position? What's your attitude now? I think what I've come to realize, you know, is that you just got it. Cause a long time, for a long time, I was very defensive about you know, cause my dad used to call me out and be like, you, you quit every time you hit a stumble in the road. Right. He used to say that to me and I used to get very defensive and go, no, I don't enjoy it anymore. I, I quit because I don't like that and I've tried it and I'm going to move on and try something else. 
And I was never able to accept that, oh, maybe I just haven't been working hard enough and maybe I haven't practiced enough and maybe I need to actually just apply myself a lot more. And I could blame that on the ADHD that my attention span is atrocious and it's a lot harder for me to sit down and like keep going back and keep going back because I get Mm. distracted very easily. But I also needed to acknowledge that I was just, I was just bad at failing, right? I'd, I'd, you know, I'd had a lot of support when I was growing up, you know, I was always had a, a safe space to go back to and someone to, you know, pat me on the back and, oh, that's all right, mate, you'll be all right, you know. Mm. And I, you know, I always had a, you know, shoulder to cry on. But when you go up to do stand-up, no one cares. Mm. If you fail, no one's going to be there after and be like, ah, oh, it's all right, mate. Mm. If anything, they'll tell you, you suck, go home, I never want to see you again. <laughs> Which is like... It's brutal. <laughs> the worst of the worst. <laughs> it's not the worst. Yeah, they're not going to, you know, kill you or anything because, you know, I think I saw a study recently about, like, why people are so scared of public speaking. It's like a genetic, I think it links back to, like, a genetic fear mm-hmm. back in the day of when people used to go up in front of large crowds. It was usually because they were about to get executed. Mm-hmm. So kind of makes sense why the biggest yeah. fear in the world is like you know public speaking it's like this like, collective okay. collective kind of memory that's been suppressed in the society huh yeah exactly and i think you know in this day and age we forget how common that was back mm. then but i just you know it was like what keeps me going now is the mm. little comments that people give me after i've gone up just the, after the show and they'll be like hey man you're really funny Mm-hmm. You know, that was, I like to joke there it, and just little stuff like that. They're not coming up and saying you're the greatest comedian ever. All right. Cause that would feel, you know, illegitimate and, you know, not real, <laughs> yeah, but it's just yeah. that little like, Hey man, that, that was really good. I hope you come back. That was funny. Uh, I really had a good time. And that is everything. Cause that's what you really want as a comedian. You want to make people have a good time, enjoy their night out, you know, hopefully pay for the ticket. And then, mm. you know, but like, it's, it's awesome. You know, if you get to make other people feel like that, it's, it's awesome. But when I fail now, I hang mm-hmm. on to those little comments. I remind myself, all right, I am funny, but that joke didn't work. But that joke doesn't define me and mm. my whole being and my whole self-worth. It doesn't mean I'm always going to suck because that joke didn't work. Mm. What it means is that I need to go home. I need to work harder. I need to think and figure out what, what didn't work with this. Was it the crowd? Was it I just not listening to what they were looking at? And was it, you know, the subject matter? Was it the way I delivered it? Was the timing? There's all these things that are playing into, you know, what's happening. And sometimes it's just luck, you know. Mm. Sometimes there is just a bad crowd. You shouldn't use that as an excuse all the time. Mm. But sometimes there is just a bad crowd. And so, you know, I started thinking about it on a technical and logical level instead of an emotional one. Mm. I tried to like pull myself away from attaching my whole personality, you know, to what work I was doing. And I was like, oh, I should do that for my studies as well. And it improved my studies a lot because I was like, oh, I'm just not doing the work. I'm not just, I'm, I'm not sitting down and actually studying enough, you know? Yeah. You know, when I hear that, James, sorry to interrupt you just kind of quickly. Okay. When I hear that, it kind of relates to what you were saying early on, that you're more accepting and with acceptance comes detachment. And when we detach, we're not in our emotion. We're better able to apply our reason or our logical yeah. mind, which is 
to me, you know, it's such a, that, that, that's a skill to be able to get yeah. to that place. It takes practice. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's, you can't get it right the first time. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough to have people around you that push you on, it, yeah, it's everything, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty awesome. And my hat goes off to the people who like don't have those people who are there to support them and just keep pushing on. Cause mm. I've met so many of them, especially international students, like my girlfriend, you know, she, she kept failing at her studies and like sucking at stuff. And she just kept pushing on. Right. Even though her family was like in her ear, like screaming at her, like, you've got to get this together. You know, the, mm. everything depends on this. And I was like, I I couldn't imagine how much stress and fear and anxiety would be going on in my head and her ability to just like push it out and think about it logically and go, all right, that didn't work. Let's keep cracking on. I just mm. got to work through this. And she's gotten so much better and she's in a much better place now. And I was like, I can do the same. It just takes practice. You know, it's everybody's just got to be pushed out of their comfort zone and like just got to keep failing, you know, because mm. that's the only way you'll succeed, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a confronting one, I'd say for a lot of people. Um, James, you've, you've since been on, um, you, you've, you're doing regular hosts. I'm sorry. You're regularly hosting trivia. You've been on the morning ABC radio. I want to hear about that. And you're continuing to do open mics while, you know, practicing and doing exactly what everything you've been saying. Um, how was, what was the ABC radio about? What did you share on that? I mean, I, well, you know, over my four years at uni, I've done, you know, like theater sports competitions and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. there's this one guy who set up a trivia company in Canberra and he's, you know, got a host, you know, running around at different venues, like just, running these trivia events. And he said, you're a really funny man recently because one of my friends referred me to him. And he said, hey, would you like to host this thing with me at the sports bar? And I was like, sure, you know, it's two hours. I get paid and I get to try to be funny. And it's like crowd work. I just thought of it as like mm. more practice for stand-up. you know, I'm trying to learn how to manage a crowd, especially when they're drunk and they're rowdy and they're trying, you know, they're pretty, some people are, pretty competitive about trivia surprisingly um <laughs> and um serious work <laughs> yeah it's serious work and you gotta be like all right okay calm calm yourself sir it's it's, it's okay it's just a tuesday you know with, none of this matters and it's it's um it's interesting but it, it's i saw it as an opportunity you know just to practice more and get up on stage mm. and it's give, definitely given me that and i've loved it and um I'm continuing to do that. And the guy who hired me, he also does a regular morning trivia segment on ABC radio. And he asked me to come on as a guest and I did. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was just half an hour. And I was mm-hmm. on with another guy called Kenny, who was like a six year old and his twin brother was in the other room and they were hilarious. And <laughs> it was a lot of fun, but you know, I don't know if I'll get invited back, but you know, it was, it was good. And just those little things, you yeah. know, it's not everything. It's not yeah. huge, but it's baby steps. And I just, you know, go, okay, that happened. That was a victory. Mm. I'm going to hold on to that. And it's like the same thing as like a person coming up after the show and going, Hey man, you were funny. And it was, it's great, you know, to get those little sh- shots like that. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, so. They're definitely a reminder of how far we've come along in our journey. And, and for you, you know, those little experiences are a reminder of, 
you know, how much you've grown, what you've, how far you've come. And, and on that note, tell me, what are you learning about yourself? What have you learned about yourself up until this point, particularly since, um, since you transition into uni? Um, I've learned my weaknesses. I, for a long time, was, I thought I'd push through and I wasn't scared anymore because I used to be a very shy kid when I was younger. Mm. And I thought in high school that I'd kind of come through that and beaten it. But when I got to uni, I realised I was still scared and shy, but just not in the ways that I used to be, like socially. I had figured out, you know, I I was just scared, basically. Yeah, mm. I was scared. And I realised, you know, by accepting that and that I was a bit, and that I was a sensitive, and I'm a sensitive person, that it's okay. And once I just accepted that as who I, who I am, I just feel a lot better now. I'm like, okay, that's who I am. You know, yeah. there's something that you just can't change. Like you, you can wish as much as you want. I, I, I could wish as much as I want that I could be a aerospace engineer and work on satellites and, you know, send, you know, rockets up to the moon and Mars and that, but mm. I'm not, that's not who I am. That's and right. yeah. accepting those weaknesses and accepting, accepting who I am as a person is so much healthier and that's the biggest thing I've learned, I think, about myself is just like I'm good at presenting, I'm good mm. at speaking, I'm good at being funny, I'm good at writing, and I'm good in, I'm good at connecting with people. Mm. Like I, I actually didn't think I was for a long time because I was too, too scared to talk to people and like I was just not great at small talk. But I, uh, over the four years at uni, learned that I've, I'm pretty good at that and I can use that and find a way to make a career out of it, which is awesome. Yeah. It's going to be brutal <laughs> and there's no guarantee I'll succeed, but you know what? I've been able to learn, accept that and go, I, I, I am in a unique position where I'm able to pursue the dream that I've never thought I could. Mm. And if I give up that opportunity, I'm kind of wasting my life, honestly. If, if I just go and force myself into a job, you know, that would pay well but wouldn't be fulfilling, I, I'd be kind of – I'd be uh, breaking that promise I made to myself when I was younger, you know, that I, I would go out and challenge myself and follow what I really enjoy, you know. Mm. And it is took that me a while to said, find Is that, that what you said to yourself? Yeah, basically. I was mm. just like – you know, my mates are going off and they're going to be successful and they're going to do great things and that, but that's what they truly love and enjoy. You know, yeah. I have a friend and, you know, she's recently started, you know, at a law firm and she's, she, she, but she's like, I never knew anyone could be genuinely passionate about law, but she is, you know, and I had another best mate who's genuinely passionate about engineering and aerospace, as I said before, but mm. But it was I don't have you. any shame about pursuing it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not me. And I kept trying to force what I wanted, you know, force that idea of what success was. And I was like, that's just not who I am. What I think of as success is now I understand to be like me pursuing and succeeding in something I genuinely love. And that's yeah. comedy, like stand up in all its forms. And, you know, if I can make mm. a career out of that, I don't care how much money I make. I don't care where I end up. If I get to do that as a job, 
I'm the luckiest person in the world. <laughs> like, like that's the best thing ever. And I think that's what I've found. Like, yeah, the, bi- the biggest thing is just what I want to do and to love myself and accept who I am as a person. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's, that's um, such a powerful like message when spoken from that lived experience, James, um, and to be able to share that, that will impact any, anyone. And then to be able to do that, you know, by making people laugh, right? And as you say, you said, if you do that, then you can die happy no matter how much success you find and know that you've given back as much as you've been lucky enough to have gotten. And that's yeah. like, wow, what a place to be. Then you know that you're living, right? To live yeah. life is to is to be who you are and to live success in your own way, whatever that means to you. But it's yeah. gonna be you have to know what that means to you. To you, you have to have very clear terms, and that success has to be lived through your own values, which is exactly yeah. you know what this whole journey has taught you about. And I certainly hope that whoever gets to listen to this that it pushes or it encourages or inspires them to redefine what it is for them to ensure that it fully aligns for them. And on that note, like if there's, I suppose I'm just thinking about your generation, even younger, even older, right, generation, but more to your to your generation and younger ones, like what would you say to them if they're not sure about where they're going or they find themselves in a place where they're, you know, not particularly passionate about what they're doing, what what would be your words from where you are right now in life? Um, look, I'll say this. Not many people are lucky enough to be in my position where they're able to fail as much as I have and pursue what they love. Some people have to work their ass off to support their family, to support you know, to go through that career that they don't like, but it's got the money, you know. But if you can find something through that that gives you fulfilment, that's still success. If you don't get to follow your dreams, that's still If you could, you know, provide something for someone else, that's still success. You know, that idea of giving and all that is, it's huge, you know. It's what we as humans that's how we've come so far as a, like, as, as a, you know, as a, I guess, human beings, you know, as humanity is because we help each other. It's, it's huge. If you're able to do that for someone, that's, that's success. That's enough, you know, and if they're able to help you and you're able to help yourself, that's success. If you're failing right now, you know, and you keep failing and you're like, oh, it's just nothing is working. I've been there. I, it's different for everyone. I can't tell you what your context is or your case is, but all I'd say is that you're not as bad as you think you are. You really aren't. If you are going at and you're at least trying, you know, that's, that's good enough. <laughs> if you're going out and just committing to something, that's good enough. If you keep failing, that's all right. Take a moment, take a second to breathe, go for a walk. Think about what you really enjoy. I, I heard advice the other day. I was like, think about what you enjoyed before you hit puberty, right? Because after you hit puberty, it, your brain gets confused by, you know, women, guys, all that, you know. What were you enjoying at eight, nine years old? Like find a way to pursue that as a career, as a profession. Mm. And it's not going to be as good or as lucrative as you 
hope it to be as you were as a child because, you know, there's business involved in everything. But if you can pursue that and find some success in it in any way and surround yourself with people who support you and care about you and you support and that you care about them, you're doing really well. You're really doing well with life. It doesn't matter how much money you're making. You know, if you're in that sort of environment, that's that's real success, you know. The people who, you know, <laughs> I've met some real pretentious people who are like super smart and successful and, they've, you know, got into this great career, you know, I guess through nepotism or whatever, you know, and they show it off to everyone and that's a huge thing these days. I think a lot of people of my generation really struggle with is they feel like they have to like craft this social identity and personality on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, just to make everyone know that they're good enough, you know, just to, you know, show to themselves, oh, I'm, I'm worth something. But you can't do that. It's so unhealthy. You're only going to get, it's only going to take you down a dark path. You have to like look internally and you have to look to the people around you who you really trust and care about you and ask them, you know, and ask yourself like, what do I really love? You know, what, what is going to give me fulfillment? Mm-hmm. Um, and just push through it, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I've got these really roundabout answers. Sorry, Susie. That's great. <laughs> I'm not articulating myself, but well, I'll you, say this. You're speaking I'll say from this. the essence, aren't you? And that's what what yeah. that's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, though, the best advice I would say is if you're going through the shit right now, uh, part of me, um, this too will pass. Hang in there, like. Mm. Everything, it will move on. Things will change. If you just keep going out every day and getting it done and doing whatever you can to make your life better, that's enough, you know, because it will eventually change. I can't tell you how long. I can't tell you how, how you know, what what's going to happen, where the opportunity is going to show up. But if you just hang in there and keep your eyes out and keep looking and just tell yourself, it's going to be all right. It, it will. And it might be a lie, but a lie is what pushes you through that stuff. You know, <laughs> it's faith, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, James, that's brilliant. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. And I most importantly appreciate you sharing, you know, sincerely what you've been through um, and what you've learned and what you continue to learn and just your, yeah, your openness and honesty about that. Thank you. Thank you very much for having Thank you for listening to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, visit suzypetrozzi.com.